Cliff Kingsbury is now officially unemployed. Should Mario Cristobal swing for the fences and just make this guy an offer? You are Locked on Canes, your daily podcast on the Miami Hurricanes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Alex Dotto, your host. I'm a University of Miami alumnus, longtime South Florida sports radio vet, and contributor to allhurricanes.com. Thank you so much for making Locked On Canes your first listen today. We're available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. So Cliff Kingsbury was fired yesterday by the Arizona Cardinals. He's no longer their head coach. And since he was fired, I think, early afternoon yesterday, and then given the fact that 95% at least of Miami Hurricanes fans would like to see Mario Cristobal change offensive coordinators, Cliff's name is getting brought up on every message board that talks Canes football. Canes football read it, and he's being brought up on every corner of Kane's Twitter. Now, if you're just asking me my opinion, would I like to see Cliff Kingsbury replace Josh Gaddis as Miami's offensive coordinator? Sure, I would, right? Just the productivity of his offenses over the years in college football would say, hey, that that that's an upgrade, right? He's a proven commodity. But guys, um, the chances of actually getting this done I believe are slim to none, maybe closer to slim than none. Like maybe there is a chance, but there are a lot of obstacles. Okay. The obstacles to potentially bringing Cliff Kingsbury into the Miami hurricanes to become the new offensive coordinator. Number one, as of right now, Miami doesn't have an opening. Josh Gaddis is still the Miami hurricanes offensive coordinator until we're told otherwise he hasn't left or been fired. Now, if Gaddis were to depart at any point in the coming days or the coming weeks, I think it's far more likely that it would happen by him finding another job and deciding like, hey, it's not really working here. I'm not really fitting in here and I've got an opportunity somewhere else. I think that's the way this is probably going to go down. That's usually the way Mario goes about replacing assistants. He gives them an opportunity to find another job rather than outright firing them. And then there's a little bit of a, of a problem here financially because Gaddis is making a lot of money at Miami. He makes seven figures. And if they were to just can him, the buyout would be gigantic. So you would have to buy him out for a lot of money and then pay his replacement for a lot of money. And if the replacement was Cliff Kingsbury, it wouldn't be a lot of money. It would be a ton of money. Like you're talking about, you know, backing up the Brinks truck for a guy like that. Okay. So that's obstacle number one. Obstacle number two. Well, what does Cliff Kingsbury actually want to do this coming season, if anything? Okay. I was watching NFL Network, uh, a clip of Ian Rappaport talking about Kingsbury right after his firing. And Ian basically said, I wouldn't be surprised if Cliff takes some time off, takes a year off. I mean, he's made a ton of money to this point. He's got a, a gigantic buyout from the Cardinals. He might decide, hey, like, I'm, I'm still young. Let me recharge the batteries for a year. Uh, you know, according to Rappaport, he joked that we might, the next place we see Kingsbury might be on Instagram on a beach in Ibiza somewhere that, you know, it's not like he's got a financial constraint in his life. It's like, yeah, I better bounce right back into coaching. I better land somewhere. So listen, may maybe Cliff just has the itch and he says, you know what? 
I think a great opportunity for me to bounce back into a head coaching job somewhere would be to be a, a coordinator for a prominent program for a couple of years and do it that way. But we have no guarantee this guy even wants to coach again right now. So obstacle number three, if Kingsbury does decide to bounce right back and take a job somewhere, Miami would obviously face a lot of competition. You know how I mentioned that every Kane's message board and Kane's Twitter is talking about Cliff Kingsbury? You've got like two dozen other fan bases that are talking about Cliff Kingsbury. Should he come to my program? I think even Florida Gators fans are talking about Cliff Kingsbury. Like he would be the top candidate for any open offensive coordinator job in America. And he could possibly even land an NFL assistant coach. He's not going to be a head coach in the NFL. Like there's no way, you know, you come off the tenure he just had in Arizona. You've got to work your way back into that, but he could potentially land an NFL assistant job. And uh, as far as college, it would probably have to be an assistant job because I, I don't see any big head coaching jobs open right now in college. Those have all been filled by this point for the teams who made coaching changes. So it would have to be either an OC job in college or an assistant job, either OC or quarterbacks coach in the NFL. But yeah, Miami, if Miami does make a run at Cliff, they're going to have a ton of competition in doing that. OK, now we know Miami, as we've learned over the last you know 13 months, they are willing to be aggressive. The Hurricanes administration and boosters are willing to be aggressive to try and make splashes, but they would have a lot of competition for Cliff. We know that. Obstacle number four, and this is a big one that not enough people are talking about, right? If you're talking about the possibility of Cliff Kingsbury as Miami Hurricanes offensive coordinator, Cliff's offensive philosophy doesn't match up with Mario Cristobal's. Have you ever seen Mario run an air raid before? <laughs> I haven't. So would Mario Cristobal, you know, if he were to make a run at Cliff Kingsbury, would he be willing to change philosophies, basically hand Kingsbury the keys to his offense and say, this is no longer my offense, Cliff, this is your offense. But then in doing that, the reality is, if you were to bring in a guy whose philosophy doesn't match yours, in Cliff Kingsbury's particular situation, you know he's not going to be here for very long if he would take the job. Like, th this is not someone who's going to be, yeah, Coach, uh, Mario, yeah, I I'd like to be here and be your offensive coordinator for the next 10, 15 years. Let's build a dynasty together. Wherever Cliff Kingsbury goes, he's looking for a year or two springboard to raise his stock and parlay that into a college head coaching job or even another NFL head coaching job. Like, he's, he's looking for a stepping stone job. And so Cristobal would have to think, not only do I have to allow him to completely change our offensive philosophy, but then he's going to be gone in a couple of years. And so then we either have to find someone else to run his offense or we go right back to what we were doing prior to him getting here. It's something to think about. OK, now, why is Cliff Kingsbury such a hot name that fan bases, including Miami's, are talking about him? Well, let me give you the numbers that his offense is put up during his time in college football from 2011 through uh, a few years ago, his time as an offensive coordinator and a head coach in college. Now, for those of us who have been watching Gattis ball for the last year, um, these numbers are going to excite you and you're going to not even realize that numbers like this for a power five offense were even possible. Okay. Cliff Kingsbury, as an OC and a college head coach, his offenses averaged 550 yards per game and 42 points per game. 
it took Miami like three games to score 42 points <laughs> last year. So, yeah, that's why Kingsbury is so sought after. The track record, uh, the track record really speaks for itself, right? And, you know, he's got the reputation of being a quarterback whisperer. He worked with coaches at the college level like Johnny Manziel, Baker Mayfield, and Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, before he ended up taking the Cardinals head coaching job in the NFL, he had actually just taken the USC uh, offensive coordinator job, but never actually made it to the season because then he started getting NFL interviews. Uh, he became a candidate for the Jets and the Cardinals, and he ended up taking an NFL job. So, you know, you have to wonder, would USC maybe circle the wagons and try to get Kingsbury? And his offensive philosophy seems to probably match the uh, the West Coast a little bit better than it matches uh, the East Coast and what Miami does. But he's definitely, you know, there, there's a reason why Cliff Kingsbury gets talked about so much because his resume as an offensive guy really speaks for itself. But, you know, the fallout from Arizona, Kingsbury is not the only name to watch here. Uh, another potential name to watch if Miami's job does come open, and I'm not saying it will, but if it does come open, uh, Spencer Whipple could be another name to watch. He was the passing game coordinator under Kingsbury with Arizona. Now, if Kingsbury takes a job somewhere, Whipple, Whipple may take a job where Kingsbury does, but if Kingsbury sits out for a year, then Whipple could be on the market. Uh, you know, you probably remember Spencer Whipple as you should. He's a former Miami Hurricanes backup quarterback, and he's the son of former Hurricanes offensive coordinator Mark Whipple. So could that become a name to watch here uh, from an offensive coordinator standpoint if the Miami jobs do come open? Uh, I'll tell you on the other side another reason why I'm really, really frustrated with the results we're getting from the current offensive coordinator uh, I, I have another interesting factoid on Branson Dean. So we talked about Branson Dean yesterday. And if you haven't seen the episode we did late afternoon yesterday, which was a welcome to the U for Branson Dean, Hurricanes got a transfer portal commit yesterday. Branson Dean, defensive tackle, graduate transfer out of Purdue, is now a Miami Hurricane. We talked about him a lot yesterday. We'll talk a little bit more about him today. We got a lot to come still. Keep it locked right here to Locked on Canes. Folks, if you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. Guys, I eat at least one Built Bar every day, uh, and it's not ruined my fitness regimen. It's actually enhanced my fitness regimen. I've lost 60 pounds over the last 15 months, and Built Bar has been a regular part of my routine. They taste unbelievable, and the calories are low. The protein is high. We just got through the holidays, and I know everyone's got resolutions, and a lot of those have to do with health and weight loss. You don't want to compromise taste. I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you're not even going to think they're good for you. They're perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bars so good? Well, for starters, they're all covered in 100% real chocolate. And they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, and coconut almond. So good. I'm not sure how Built does it. I'm not a scientist. But these bars, they taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't even need to wait to get a box. This is exciting because for years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com, which you can still do with our code LOCKEDON15 for 15% off. But now 
you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. And I know one of our listeners told me recently he got some at Walmart, which is awesome. So head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk up to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can pick up a four box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puffs. Or if you're close to a Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13 bar box with our hit flavors like brownie batter and churro. And you can thank me later. I love me some Built Bars. Thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today. We're available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. So again, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Miami does not currently have an opening at offensive coordinator, all right? We still have a coordinator, and his name is Josh Gaddis. Uh, but I'll tell you why. Like, I'm, I'm getting more frustrated by the day with the coordinator situation. And if he does stick around, I hope he proves us all wrong. Like, I hope this is just a matter of the offense fell flat on their face last year because they were having trouble learning a new system. The offensive line was decimated by injury and the quarterback room got decimated by injury as well uh, because Tyler Van Dyke was not healthy for most of the second half of the season. And with better personnel and healthier personnel, they can maybe do a lot better no matter who the court. I hope that ends up being the case, but I'll tell you why I'm getting so frustrated. It was hard enough last season watching Miami's offense struggle to score 20 points last year in a game. And not all of that on-the-field stuff can be blamed on the coordinator, right? A lot of that can be blamed on the personnel. I get that. But then you look at the last couple of months, okay? When your offensive coordinator, who's also your wide receivers coach, appears to have zero impact whatsoever on the recruiting trail, that starts to get very alarming to me. And I would hope that's alarming to Mario Cristobal as well, because we know how important recruiting is and winning battles on the trail. We know how important that stuff is to Mario. And when your wide receivers coach, who's also your OC, doesn't seem to have any impact at all at wide receiver recruiting, it's hard to watch it, man. How many wide receiver targets does Miami have to whiff on before he gets held accountable for that, okay? Because the other offensive assistant coaches, like Kevin Smith with the running back, Stephen Field with the tight ends, Alex Mirabal with the offensive line, they all seem to be pulling their weight, closing on recruiting targets. They all seem to be doing their job, landing targets. But the wide receivers coach, and listen, again, he's not batting zero. I get it. I, I love Ray Ray Joseph, and I love Robbie Ro Robbie Washington, if I could even say the man's name correctly. I love them both. Um, but when it comes to outside receivers and quantity, quality, quantity of quality, the wide receiver coach, unfortunately, he's not getting the results, right? I'm sure there's reasons for that. There's excuses for that. But he's not getting the results on the recruiting trail. And it's very frustrating to watch when the other top offensive assistants actually seem to be doing their job on the trail. And there's one guy who doesn't appear to be doing his job. It gets very frustrating to me, all right? Um, so, you know, I mentioned uh, we had a full episode yesterday about Branson Dean. Former Purdue Boilermaker, six foot two, two hundred eighty pound defensive tackle. He's now a Miami Hurricane. Was honorable mention All Big Ten last year. He's a solid player. He started in eleven of Purdue's twelve games last year. His stats last season: twenty eight tackles, two and a half sacks, four tackles for loss. Um, you know, another thing that that we should bring up about Dean because I've been watching more of him and reading more about him, even since last night when he committed and we did an episode about him. He has excellent quickness for a 280-pounder. 
Uh, a lot of people are asking me, what role is he going to play on Miami's defensive line? Uh, it, it's always hard to project before you even get into spring ball. You know, we'll have a much better idea once we get into fall camp, what kind of a role he's going to play in the rotation. I'm not expecting just based on his credentials. I'm not expecting Branson Dean to be a starter at Miami, but we know Mario and Kevin Steele, they like to rotate the D line a lot. And I expect Dean to be an important rotational piece, right? Despite the fact that he's a power five guy and Thomas Gore isn't, I think Gore might even have a bigger season next year than Dean. We'll see how that goes. But I do think Branson Dean, um, maybe some of us aren't even giving him credit for how good he can be at Miami. I think he's going to be an important rotational piece on the defensive line coming up next year. And this is a really cool note about Dean from David Lake of Inside the U. He did an awesome job crunching some of the pro football focus numbers. Um, in the case of both Branson Dean and Thomas Gore, uh, the two defensive tackles Miami's brought into the transfer portal, something Miami is going to wind up with here is they're really improving the interior pass rush because they're bringing in transfer portal defensive tackles who specialize in rushing the passer from the inside. According to Pro Football Focus, Dean totaled 34 quarterback pressures last season. That was six most among Power 5 interior defensive linemen. So that, that's a really good stat in his favor. He generated at least five pressures against four different opponents, Penn State, Indiana State, Syracuse, and Nebraska. In 2021, Dean generated 28 pressures from the interior per David Lake. So over the last two seasons, he's generated 62 quarterback pressures as an interior defensive lineman. Only four interior linemen in the Power Five have generated more pressures over the past two years, and it's Duke's Dwayne Carter with 89 and Pitt's Kalijah Kansi, who's an awesome player, at 85. Um, uh, also, uh, Jerzan Newton from Illinois and Jalen Carter from Georgia with 66. And by the way, uh, congratulations to Georgia. I, I don't have a whole lot to say about that game because it was a freaking blowout. 65-7. 65-7 repeat national champions, the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, really cool what they've been able to do here. And listen, I know. So you see, you see one team beat another team 65-7 to in the national title game. And we have college football fans are now like, wait, is this 12-team playoff a good idea? Because if if a team that's stuck into the top four can get blown out 65-7, to seven, do we really want to expand this to 12 teams? Uh, I still do. And the other part of it is, like, if you want to blame somebody for TCU getting blown out 65-7, to seven, I blame Michigan. It's choke artist, Michigan. Like, Michigan, I believe Michigan has the players – they could have given – they would have lost still. Like, George, nobody was beating Georgia in that game. Michigan could have actually given Georgia a more competitive game than TCU did. But Michigan played awful against TCU in the semifinal. They completely choked. So if you want to blame anybody for the college football playoff national championship game just being an absolute stinker, you blame Michigan for that because Michigan should have been in that game. And they've actually got the the Jimmys and Joes where they they could have given Georgia a tougher game than TCU did. I'm sorry, but I am I am still for expanding the playoff to 12 teams. And then you would just have to assume usually the best two teams are going to get into the final anyway. Uh, that didn't necessarily happen this year. I don't think it was the best two teams that got into the final. Uh, so 
yeah, I, I know I got a little sidetracked there, but I, I thought that was a cool factoid, a cool list of stats from David Lake of Inside the U that Branson Dean has proven to be a really effective interior pass rusher. Thomas Gore has as well. So that's a nice element that Miami is uh, is adding to their defensive line through this transfer portal season. Uh, we get a, a Twitter question from Hand Down, Man Down. He tweets to us, hey, at Locked on Canes, we keep saying we need help at defensive tackle, but when is former five-star third-year Leonard Taylor going to show you why he was a five-star player? Uh, well, I think we all know this has got to be the year. Um, and we've seen flashes of it from Leonard Taylor. I think the problem is we just we haven't seen it consistently through the course of a season, right? He started to come on final four games or so of his true freshman season in 2021. Taylor started to dominate. We saw it a handful of times on the field last year. Taylor started to dominate. Um, you know, this has got to be the year, I think, when Taylor, third year, true junior, he's just got to go out there and ball this year. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for Miami to get better production out of their defensive line, out of the interior, which is pretty thin on paper. Uh, they don't have a whole lot. They're still, even after landing Branson Dean, I think the Hurricanes still need more help at defensive tackle. But Leonard Taylor, he's got to be that dude next year. Uh, we've got to give out a congratulations because uh, a couple of uh, great dudes with Miami Hurricanes ties have been selected to the College Football Hall of Fame. Let's talk about that next here on Locked on Canes. Thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today. We're available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. So I love this. Bryant McKinney, Mount McKinney, and Mark Richt, who is a former Miami Hurricanes quarterback and head coach, Brian McKinney and Mark Richt have been selected to the College Football Hall of Fame class of 2023. Congratulations to them both. Uh, McKinney becomes the 10th Miami Hurricanes player, and Mark Richt becomes the 15th overall Hurricane, including coaches and players, to be enshrined in the College Football Hall of Fame. They join Benny Blades, Don Bossler, Dennis Erickson, Andy Gustafson, uh, Jack Harding, Ted Hendricks, Jimmy Johnson, Russell Maryland, Dan Morgan, Ed Reed, Vinny Testaverde, Gino Toretta, and Arnold Tucker. And man, um, you know, obviously Mark Richt will always hold a special place in my heart. Uh, you know, he had, he had one really great season here where Miami won 10 games and, uh, and played in the Orange Bowl uh, with my pal Malik Rozier quarterbacking the team. That season, you had the big comeback win against Florida State, the miracle play, touchdown pass, Rozier to Langham. That was a really fun year, first year of the turnover chain. It's a really fun year. But I also – I give Mark Rick so much credit, uh, even though, listen, he didn't get into the college football playoffs. He didn't bring the U back, right, the way some people hoped he would. But not only did he have a successful year here, but Mark Rick was such a – such an instrumental part of the fundraising at Miami. Like you see, you know, this indoor practice facility here that's in my YouTube background. I don't know if this would exist if not for Mark Richt, because he, when he got here, he insisted we need an indoor facility. And he literally put up the first million. <laughs> he donated the first million dollars himself to get the Carol Sofer indoor practice facility built. I don't know if that ever happens or if it, you know, if not for Mark Rick, maybe it would have happened like three, four, five, six years later. But I don't know if that happens without Mark Rick. So he did leave behind 
a legacy as a coach at the University of Miami. And then, of course, back in the day before I was born, but uh, as Jim Kelly's backup quarterback back uh, back in the early 80s, late 70s. So, so happy to have him in. And then, of course, Bryant McKinney, Mount McKinney, never allowed a single sack during his entire college career at Miami. He was a huge part, literally, of that 2001 national championship team where he helped keep Ken Dorsey's jersey completely clean. Uh, he won the Outland Trophy that year. Like He even got some Heisman votes that year. Uh, he finished eighth in the Heisman voting. I, I thought, if anything, and I know obviously they never give the Heisman offensive linemen, but you know it was hard to argue. Bryant McKinney, it was hard to argue that he wasn't the most valuable player in college football that year. Maybe he should have won the Heisman. And how about McKinney's record as a Miami Hurricane? He went 23-1 and in Coral Gables. Unbelievable stuff. So very well-deserved for Bryant McKinney, uh, one of the greatest offensive tackles I've ever seen, and for Mark Richt as well, being uh, being inducted into that College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, another quick uh, recap of a couple things from yesterday. Former Miami offensive tackle, John Campbell, he's committed to Tennessee. So congratulations to him. I mean, obviously, Miami is going to be fine at offensive tackle of all positions. Uh, Campbell decided to pursue an opportunity elsewhere. Uh, that's really cool for Campbell. He's a Tennessee volunteer. Tennessee had a big day yesterday. They landed Dante Thornton, a wide receiver Miami wanted, and then they landed a former Hurricanes offensive lineman. So good luck to John Campbell. Uh, you know, I mentioned Dante Thornton also landing at Tennessee. That's a you know wide receiver that Miami missed on, unfortunately. Um, you know, we got an offer out for Andrell Anthony, the former Michigan wide receiver. I hope we get some good news there. Oh, and I also should mention, because I almost forgot to bring this player up, but since I'm talking about wide receiver transfers and, and whiffing on guys, there is another big-time player available. USC wide receiver Gary Bryant Jr. And Bryant's really good, guys. He has officially entered the NCAA transfer portal. Uh, he was a key reserve in 2021 as a freshman and had a, a breakout year as a sophomore, starting wide receiver, kick returner, and punt returner. Caught 44 passes for 579 yards and seven scores. Uh, played sparingly in the first uh, few games before electing to redshirt. So, Gary Bryant is uh, is available as well. Um, I would assume Miami would be interested, right? You, you would assume that they would be interested. So we'll see if the Hurricanes have any luck here because after missing out on Dante Thornton, you've got another former Pac-12 guy who's going to be available. We'll see if Miami has any luck kicking the tires on Gary Bryant out of USC. But let's also remember when it comes to transfer portal wide receivers, we're going to have more opportunities because even after this transfer portal window closes uh, in a little over a week, you do have another transfer portal opening in early May for 15 days. And I would expect there's going to be more movement, including wide receiver, more players leaving their programs. So if Miami comes up dry in this transfer portal window, they do have another crack at it in May. So we'll see how that all goes. And I can't thank you guys enough for supporting the show. Do us a solid. Uh, if you're listening to us on your favorite audio platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, Google, leave us a five-star rating and leave us a nice review if you've got a little time. Uh, you know, it really goes a long way to helping the growth of the show if you rank us five stars. And if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, hit the thumbs up button, hit the like button, and subscribe to our channel. 
And we will talk to you guys again tomorrow. But of course, if, if any news breaks later today, we'll talk to you later today. Otherwise, we'll talk to you tomorrow. So thank you for making us your first listen here on Locked on Canes. For your second listen, check out our brand new show on the network, Locked on College Basketball. Experts Isaac Shade and Andy Patton bring you everything you need to know uh, on and off the court. Plus, hear from big name experts, coaches and players throughout the basketball landscape. Locked on college basketball available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk to you next time on another episode of Locked on Canes, part of the awesome Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day.